Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1959. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Minnesee, California, with a very special guest by the name of Michael Allen. Michael, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready to release the clutch, and it's great to be with you. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Now, in your case, and your listeners will understand this, maybe it's uh, flaps up ready to fly or wheels up because of uh, your history, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Before I give you a proper introduction and we talk about this very cool book that you're producing, what's one little thing that maybe most people don't know about you, Michael? Well, I know a lot of people don't know that I'm currently writing this book. My passion for uh, for motorsports has been... Um, probably since I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I served in the military for just under 40 years with the Air Force. I've got uh, married with uh, two kids, uh, two adult children, and a beautiful uh, daughter-in-law. And my wife and I have been married for going on 39 years next year. You've got me beat a little bit. I'm at 37 years, so I'm trying to always trying to catch up with you guys in the Air Force. But as my next door, right. na- as my next door neighbor who's retired Air Force, he goes, good luck. You'll never catch up with us. So uh, he always re- always reminds me of that. I have me on that because uh, when I retired back in 2016, I added up the time away from my wife and we were married 33 years at the time. When I calculated how much time I've been away, I've only seen her 25 years out of the 33. So, wow. yeah, it's pretty busy days and great support from her. Well, that's awesome. And I want to thank you for your service. Uh, so important to uh, all of us here in the United States. So thank you very, very much for, for all those sacrifices and your family, because I know uh, having had military families in our world, my wife's father was a 33-year Marine. There's a lot of time spent away from family, and that is a big sacrifice for everybody. So thank you very much, Michael. Let me give you a proper introduction here. Michael Allen is the author and researcher for a book about Ontario Motor Speedway that operated in Southern California from 1970 until the end of 1980. The book is a complete history of the fabled and much-missed racetrack. The track was a copy of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway built with the added benefits of cutting-edge design back in the day. Hosted there were multiple forms of motorsports, including IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, IMSA, NHRA, drag racing, and MotoGP-style racing. Michael is a retired U.S. Air Force KC-135 aircraft in-flight refueling technician, and as he said, with 39-plus years of service, he's currently assigned as the contracting officer's representative, titled the COR, and quality assurance supervisor for the 452 Air Mobility Wing Flight Simulator Facility at March Air Force Base in California, where he's been serving since February of 2016. But today we're going to be talking about this book, and he's going to be bringing back to us the Ontario Motor Speedway, all the wonderful things about that track. But first, a word from our valued sponsors. So give them a little love, and we'll be right back. 
Covercraft's newest three-layer all-climate cover is especially engineered for moderate weather conditions and it's treated with an extra UV-resistant formula. It's soft, it's breathable, and it's easy to store, all while pampering your paint, providing maximum UV rain and dust protection. If you live where it's windy, no worries. Simply add their gust guards for windy conditions to add extra protection to keep your cover in place. Your three-layer all-climate cover is custom-tailored with Covercraft's attention to detail, form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their tradition since 1965. Covercraft protects cars, trucks, motorcycles, RVs, trailers, and watercraft, too. Every one of my vehicles is protected with a Covercraft cover. And I have a deal for you. Use the code yeah 21 Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com and you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order plus free shipping. That's right. So get 10% off with free shipping by simply using the code yeah 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. When it was time to renew my collector car policy, my carrier raised my rates by a lot. But why? My usage was the same, my car's value was the same, and I had never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. The only change was their rate, and they had no reason why. What's with that? I researched my options, I spoke to others, and with American Collectors Insurance is where I now have my policy. What a difference. A live person actually answers the phone. She spent time learning about me and my Porsche Turbo, the one I call my orange crush, and provided a reasonable quote. American Collectors Insurance now protects my special ride. I'm saving hundreds of dollars and I can sleep at night knowing my baby is properly insured. Why wait until your next premium is due? Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote. Call 866-AC1-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine, Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Michael, we're back. So, I got to start off with the big question why? Why did you decide to undertake a project like this? Because Ontario Motor Speedway, I knew of that track back when I was a kid living in Southern California. It really was only around for a short time and then disappeared. Now it's shopping centers and suburbs and the track is long gone, but there's so much legacy there. So why did you decide to take on a a task this big? Well, I grew up in uh, Covina, California, which is about 20 plus miles away from the track and uh, in 1970 let me back up here uh the late 60s 68 69 the track was being built and i remember uh with my family going out to uh Ukaipa area in the hills and and seeing the track being built from start to finish and really in, inspired me to want to uh to go to the attend the races here's this huge stadium that uh Indianapolis style and in design and it was cutting edge first class look to it it's in my practically in my backyard exactly I kind of grew up with the track in fact to the point where growing up you know you don't have a you don't have a car when you're 13 14 years old so what do you do well I used to ride out to the track on practice days oh wow and uh for the Indy cars and lock my bike up at the gate and then ride home uh that evening 
you know, and try to pick up a bus out of Pomona so I didn't have to ride all the way back. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a long bike ride. Yeah, I, it, you know, it's uh, I was a paper boy at the time, so I, I was used to those early morning rides. Yeah, the track was uh, absolutely beautiful, and in my book, I tried to illustrate that. Southern California was a hotbed for motorsports and motor uh, automotive ingenuity that uh, occurred in some of these smaller shops on the uh, dusty uh, bull rings of, the, of Southern California, the drag strips. And Ontario was a culmination of all the great ideas in Southern California motorsports, and it collected itself right there in, in a vineyard in Ontario, California. So how did it come about and why Why was it a copy of, of the Indianapolis Speedway? Well, in my research, I've, uh, I've uncovered and I've interviewed several key personnel that were part of the track, including Mr. Dave Lockton, first president. And basically, he was the founding member for the track. He was the one that secured the funding and was able to uh, be there from start to finish to the uh, ribbon cutting in August of 1970. With that said, the track had everything. If you look at some of the fine items that are at tracks today, mm -hmm. they can lineage back to Ontario. Really? Let me try to paint a picture for that track. Yeah. When it was first built, it was called Ontario Motor Stadium. And at the time, they thought, well, let's change it up to the Speedway. But the stadium emphasis was there because it was a point where you could sit anywhere in that grandstands and see pretty much 90% of the track. Wow. In fact, back straightaway was elevated, I think, six to eight feet higher than the front straightaway so that the fans at the front can watch the back straightaway oh without it. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. So it did have a slight incline coming out of turn one and a decline coming out of turn three. The track was absolutely beautiful. A pool table, smooth, wide pit area. In fact, it was so wide in the pit area that the drag racing that occurred was staged inside the pit area. Now, if you look at the pit areas of Indianapolis, you know how narrow that pit area was, mm -hmm. even for the modification for the Formula One team. Imagine a pit lane that was just as wide as the front straightaway. So wow. a lot of amenities to it. It had a restaurant. VIP lounges were absolutely stunning. It had a first-class press room just above the area. And it was also uh, had garage areas that were viewing accessibility. You can mm -hmm. see it from a bridge type of semi-curved garage area in the infield. Now, you mentioned about the Indianapolis of the West, and that's what it was titled. But it also had the full support from uh, Mr. Tony Holman, who rescued the Indianapolis Speedway after 1946 and really brought it into prominence from the 40s to the 50s, now into the 60s. Let's go back to 1970. Why was it so famous for this track? Well, 1970 was the beginning of uh, what they call the sport of the 70s. And that's what auto racing was called. In particular, Indianapolis-type cars were called the sport of the 70s. And the track could not be built by one person's funding. So therefore it had to be uh, funded by way of city bonds and uh, negotiations of land purchases of the, the vineyards. And uh, there was something unique about that purchasing of the, of, the, of the track through the city bonds. The city bonds were built so that investors would have a return on their dollar. Mm -hmm. So what happened is, is that the city had wanted uh, a track in their backyard, and they were very supportive of the uh, of the event. 
the people that had invested, they weren't so much of motorsports fans as they were of maybe a potential investment mm -hmm. uh, for that. That investment was based on a plan drawn up by the staff that developed the track that it would be self-sufficient by 1998. In fact, uh, if some of your viewers out there have the original Ontario program, inside one of the first pages, mm -hmm. it says that the mortgage would be all income from bonds is exempt from all present income taxes in option of consult. Get this, by February of 1998. So what that means is that the track had to have a consistent schedule. It had to have full grandstands or at least supported by the fans to, to keep the track going. And it had to have a consistent management style. And in my book, I'm honest, but I'm also a race fan. So <laughs> I have to work the detective work, but also I have to balance it with fairness of both sides. Yeah. But uh, the bottom line was, is that if you look at the line of the management throughout the years 70 to 80, you will notice that there was a series of interruptions of the uh, owners, as well as the contracts at the, at the track. There were some uh, problems with the scheduling issues. And I can go back, I can go into further detail with that. But what I want to do is I want to emphasize the beauty of the track. Well, obviously, 1980 came around and that was the end. So that 98, 1998 date never came to fruition. And, and I, I agree with you. I don't want to give up secrets of the book because I want people, once the book's published, to get their hands on it. Because it sounds like you've dug very deeply into this history. How about this? If you think about the track having lasted that long and then it dissipated. Can you give us a little, without going into deep here, because again, I want people to read this book and learn the history. What killed it? What killed it, I think, was people thought that the track would always be around and that somebody would rescue it. Mm. If you look at the consistency of the records of ownership or management, it had a lineage of presidents or managers of the track. Parnelli Jones was one. And Parnelli tried his hardest to, to keep the track going. In fact, I give props to Mr. Jones for all he did to try to keep Ontario flowing. There was also other issues that impacted the track that were somewhat out of their own league. For instance, the 73-74 Gulf oil crisis affected all motorsports at that time. In fact, I think the Daytona 500 had been cut down in mileage that year in 74 and I believe that the Indy 500 had some qualifying days that were cut back. So Ontario wasn't operating in a bubble of problems at that time. The other issue was, I think there just needed to be a more consistent manager. Let me highlight this. Indianapolis had Tony Holman. Daytona had Bill France. If Ontario had a, oh, how do I say this, a benevolent dictator <laughs> for, the, for the management of that track, I think that Ontario would have had a fighting chance. Yeah. You mentioned about, I don't want to get too far ahead, but 1980 was really the beginning of cable sports. Mm -hmm. And if Ontario had survived another two years, I think they would have been right in the prime era of the ESPN, uh, TNN type of franchises that were broadcasting on cable. I think that might have saved that track. The other thing that I think probably could have saved the track was a more consistent schedule of events. There were some hiccups 
with the interruptions of managers, mm-hmm. they didn't get their school to USAC or NASCAR in time. And I can cite an example, December 23rd, 1972, the track was padlocked for some time. At that time, they didn't know if the, if the track was going to be operating in the following years. Well, what happened is NASCAR was supposed to come there in the spring of 73. They missed their mark. NASCAR, lo- they lost their race at, at the track. The other thing that you were addressing about the investors, the investors also liked to be entertained and they wanted a consistent schedule. When they saw that the track was not offering a consistent schedule year by year and they changed the dates and all, there were some hiccups there. This is documentation that I've uncovered as well as interviews that I've conducted over the over the last year. Wow. Let me ask you this question about people who are driving inspirations or influential people. When you, I mean, you've been going through the in-depth, the history of this whole thing. Is there one person, I'm sure there's a lot of people because so many people are involved, but is there one person that as you uncovered this or peeled back the, the onion here, all the different layers of this thing that really stood out for you as a, a key influencer in the track, other than the gentleman who created it. But obviously there was an ongoing issue with all a lot of issues, actually, of how to keep this thing mm-hmm. going, this monster going that they created. But is there one person that really stood out? You mentioned Parnelli Jones. Would he be the guy or is there someone else? Parnelli uh, had some really good ideas about keeping the track afloat. And he tried his hardest with his staff. As far as a driver or anybody in particular, I don't think I've ever could nail that down. But uh, I know that it had good intentions from the start. You know, that's what I think I can only nail down. I do have a lot of data. And and let me expound a little bit about how I uncovered all this data. The uh, city of Ontario opened up their files to me, and I've been able to document over 2,300 pages of documentation of the track. And that's from 1960 on up. I mean, everything from where potential sites were, in Southern California for a massive track like this, right up to the contract negotiations to build it. I've got construction photos, real-time photos from start to finish. And then, uh, unfortunately, I've got the destruction photos that are part of the story. But as far as one particular person, I, I don't think I can nail it down. I think I think it would be the fans. I really do. I think that the fans lost on this track. They had terrific uh place to attend. The amenities were flawless. And I think that the, well, if you look at the ticket prices, they were absolutely, they were absolutely uh, uh, very cost effective. I mean, a garage, not a garage pass, but a, a entry pass for qualification was like $2 to go to the IndyCars. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, they were doing their best to try to keep it afloat. And I would say you didn't have bad management. I think what it was, you had management that sort of didn't have the you know, I'd say they thought it would always be around and that it would come about. But there were things that that happened in in the 70s, like I said, that affected it, the gas war and what have you. But I think that the fans are the and 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 the the competitors lost in this track. I mean, in fact, on the last day, uh, a competition was uh, was actually Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s first championship win. I mean, championship 
year he won the championship was at Ontario Motor wow. Speedway. Well, there's a there's a name <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Let's let's do this. Let's take a short break. When we come back, I want to talk about the biggest challenge you had putting this book together because no doubt, like the track and like the history of the track, many challenges were involved here. So keep that thought in mind, and we'll be right back. Sure. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe, and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. Did you know that Cars Yeah! is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Libsyn, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. And Cars Yeah! is the only five-day-a-week automotive-focused podcast for you to get your message into the ears of thousands of listeners daily from all over the world. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah! is one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark at carsyeah.com or through the website at carsyeah.com today to learn more. All right, Michael, we're back. So let's talk about this. When you undertake a huge project like this, and it is a huge project to write a book about the history of such an enormous track, no doubt there's been a few challenges along the way. Maybe some walls you hit, uh, speed bumps, if you will. If you could pick one little thing so far that's really been a huge obstacle for you, what, what is that and how'd you overcome it? Well, I wasn't able to overcome it. I think my biggest obstacle is is me. I think if I had written this book... <laughs> That's an honest answer. <laughs> I wish I had written this book 20 years ago uh. in that I would have been able to maybe secure much more real-time interviews with the people oh, that yeah. have left. That is the one thing that kind of frustrates me about the book because I, I always know, I always wanted to see what did Jerry Grant think of when he pulled off the 200 mile an hour break, you know, speed break, speed record in Ontario in September of 72. Or what did the Formula One drivers think of when they came out in the Quester Grand Prix? Or, you know, there were things that, that I wish I could have done earlier. And I'll tell you, this book actually was not supposed to be a book. I was writing it as a magazine article. And I looked at the data that I'm uncovering, and I just said, I'm just not going to be able to do this. And part of it was, if I write this as a magazine article, someone's going to write a book. I might as well be that guy. (laughs) And if this is going to be my first book, I'm going to give it 100% and total focus 
and attention to detail that it requires. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. I, yeah, I love it. That's great. I was my own obstacle. There you go. Uh, that happens many times in life. You know, I like to ask about special vehicles. And I know in your past, in the 80s and early 90s, even up in 2000, you were a mechanic for several different kind of racing experiences, if you will. Yes. If you could pick one special vehicle in your past, and it could be one of those race cars, or maybe it's a street car. Tell me a story about what, what was that vehicle and maybe share a, an experience about that ride. Well, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be either on a pit crew or work in Ontario, you know, work in race cars. And, uh, you know, you just don't have funding. So you tried an alternate way of doing it. I've been able to get on the other side of the pit wall through a, a variety of great people that supported me, my desires and my enthusiasm. You know, I didn't know anything about working on the cars I, I, except what I read in Formula Magazine or, or uh, race car engineering. I got to work on uh, uh, Toyota Atlantics for a couple of years part-time because I was still flying and working for the Air Force. I worked with uh, Sandy Dells, who is a local racer out here in Southern California, and he did a national Atlantic program for several years. Sandy, uh, he was great, uh, gave me an opportunity to, uh, to work at Long Beach and uh, Willow Springs and uh, had a great time doing that. I worked on a USAC sprint car for a couple of years for a, a pilot friend of mine in my unit. His son was racing, and he told me, he says, I got this sprint car in the garage. He said, you know anything about it? And I said, uh, just what I know in Open Wheel Magazine. He says, well, you're working on it. But I would say of all the cars that I had connections with, I think my fantasy race car would be a, uh, I'd have to split it between a, a Crosley 32 Formula Ford, and that's a vintage car now, or a modern Formula Ford. And I say Formula Ford's because I grew up with them and I loved the open wheel effect without the, uh, the wing downforce and more mechanical grip. It gave more driver feel. So I guess that would be my uh, fantasy race car. Yeah, sounds cool. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your automotive psychologist a little bit today. So settle back into the couch and give this a little thought. If you were manifest as a vehicle, what would Michael be? But more importantly, why? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think it would have to be a cutting-edge car. Okay. You know, this book is about the history of Ontario, but I also look at the future of motorsports. Personally, I, I would love to get in a, uh, a Red Bull Formula One car. <laughs> yeah, who wouldn't? <laughs> that would probably be me. Okay, very cool. Well, given the technology and, you know, working in the Air Force all those years, I mean, the military is always on cutting edge of technology and so forth. So I kind of see how that that might make some sense. Now, is this book of yours, are you self-publishing this or will it be published by somebody? How's that going to work? Well, I, I'll tell you, I'm still working full-time for the base. So I, I think I'm gonna, I'm leaning towards a publisher doing it for me. And I've had a few options mm -hmm. uh, already. I will tell you that the book uh, in pages is just over 290 right now. So wow. I'm thinking that the book is going to have, after I add photographs and and the uh extra interview time onto the book we're looking at 300 pages yeah. plus yeah big book and i know that self-publishing is has its advantages i just would rather get this book out and have it done right and managed and promoted correctly it is not my book it is the book for the fans it's the book for the competitors that were at that track 
It's a book about the managers of that track. This is their book, not mine. Well, this is a book in progress, and typically I have guests on the show when their books are finished, but I I really wanted to have you on the show because of the enormity of this thing. Do you have an end date where people can anticipate to get their hands on the copy? Can Can you see that far into the future? Well, my original plan was to get the book published by the 50th anniversary, which was September 6th of this year. Mm -hmm. And that was the anniversary of the first race. I will tell you that how this, how writing this book, there are challenges, but there are so much rewards. I will tell you that I've flown to the Air Force and this book is the most rewarding thing that I've done next to my flying. Wow, that's a huge statement. And I can I can assure you that when it's done, I'm going to feel kind of like that coach that got the team the winning trophy and then it's all over. And what am I going to do next? Because it has, I've been immersed in writing the book for over a year now, even with the COVID issues. With that said, this Ontario idea of, 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 of putting it down on paper has been uh, has been long in the tooth. I mean, uh, when the track I, I went, I joined the Air Force in '77. Track was still alive. I remember looking out of that airplane on the ride to basic training, and there's the track. Yeah. And I came home on eve uh, in uh, late eight. Uh, I think it was early '81, and I started looking for the track, and I looked at all the construction. And then I realized there were bulldozers in the track to pieces. Yeah. And uh, wow. so it is a personal quest on my part to, to write the book. Well, 2022, not a bad year to publish a book like this. So uh, the, the what I'll do for you listeners is when Michael has this book done, you'll be hearing from me again. Uh, of course, you can follow his show notes page. And at the end of the show here, he'll give you some ways you can reach out to him to get your hands on a copy of this book. That ground there originally was all agriculture. And of course, now you can go and there's some great things on the website or on the, the internet, I should say, where you can go and kind of do an overlay of where the track was. And now it's, like I said, shopping centers and malls and imagine if you lived, uh, my house is on the corner, you know, on the second corner of the Ontario Water Speedway. Uh, kind of yeah. kind of sad, but we've seen this happen with tracks all over the country. Riverside down there is another example of that. Times just change. I'm going to let you go on the ultimate drive today. So this will be an interesting answer. I wonder if the track will have something to do with the way you answer this question, Michael. You can go anywhere any drive, in any vehicle, with anybody, living or deceased, on this ultimate drive. What does the ultimate drive look like for you? I can answer it in two two forms okay. here, okay? Yeah. One would be a ride-along with Mario Andretti at the Indianapolis Speedway. That would be the ultimate. I think for my fantasy ride-along, and this is, you know, if you can find the uh, uh, racers in heaven to ride with, uh, I would love to have ridden uh, with uh, Mark Donahue, my hero, uh, growing up. Yeah, I think uh, I think a ride around Road America in a Can Am 917 would have been choice. <laughs> Hold on, holy cow, that'd be something. Now, did Mark race at Ontario? He sure did. He raced uh, multiple challenges there. He raced uh, the Indy cars. He raced uh, NASCAR in an AMC Matador, and he also raced the uh, in the Formula 5000 race which was part of the Quester Grand Prix. And we didn't go into that detail, but you'll, you'll see it in the book. It's quite detailed about that. He raced uh, there in, when the Formula Ones were competing with Formula 5000. And it was actually that Quester Grand Prix was a test bed for a potential 
Formula One race in 1972 that never occurred. Wow, amazing. You know, you've taken us on a fun little teaser ride here about this upcoming book, Ontario Motor Speedway. Is that the title? Do you have a title yet? Yes, uh, the title is Ontario Motor Speedway Racing's Paradise Lost. Oh, I love it. That's awesome. Can you leave us with maybe a little uh, success quote or mantra before we let you go today? Well, I tell you, this quote was almost, uh, it's been there for as long as the Ontario Motor Speedway was in existence. Because I, I got this poster. It was actually a like a, a you know, inspiration poster for work sites. You know, do you work harder, work better, or smarter, that type of thing. Yeah. And it had a picture of an Indy car on the track, and it, and it says, success doesn't just happen. It often requires extra effort and attention to detail. And I can assure you that that phrase was written inside my flight manual when I was flying as a reminder of detail and effort has to be done. I love it. Very, very cool. How can people keep track of you as this book comes to fruition okay right now i'm on facebook Mm -hmm. uh be glad to answer any questions or details about the book without giving away too much of it but also instagram uh i should be up to an instagram and a uh, linkedin account shortly okay um mention about about publishing my goal is to have the book ready for sale by the indianapolis speedway memorabilia show next year perfect When, when will that be taking place uh, May. It's the uh, Memorial Day weekend at May, Apple Speedway. I hope to have the, the book done by then. There you go. Well, we'll all be rooting for you as you come around that final corner to the finish line. You also mentioned in our pre-show chat an email that people could reach out to you at. You want to share that? Sure. It's uh, capital L M Allen, A-L-L-E-N, 24 at AOL.com. I'll make sure I put a link to that on Michael Allen's show notes page so you can get your hands on that. I'll be ready for a wonderful book in the coming new year titled Ontario Motor Speedway Racing's Paradise Lost. Very, very cool. I want to do a shout out. Thank you to a guy that put me together with Michael, Doug Stokes. Uh, Thank you, Doug. He's brought some great guests here to Cars I really appreciate what he does. Uh, Michael, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing uh, this story, this uh, first book for you. I have a feeling there might be another one in your future. I sure hope so. Until this book is published, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. And a shout out to Doug. Doug is my wingman for this book. He's been there from the very beginning. And in the Air Force, uh, he would be my uh, be my wingman. Uh, writing this book. Uh, He's opened up so many doors for me to to contact folks. And uh, a sincere thanks and shout out to him. There you go. Thanks, Doug. Very cool. Here at Cars Yeah, it's all about inspiration. And our charity of choice is Tech Force Foundation, where it's all about making a positive difference in young people's lives. Tech Force helps young adults discover their talents and passions for all things automotive with a mission of helping students develop a career as a professional technician. TechForce awards nearly $2 million in scholarships every year for students to pursue technical education, and they support hands-on activities, events, and mentorships across the country, working to change the outdated perceptions of these careers. Autotechs are in high demand, but the supply of qualified technicians is critically short. They need your help to fuel their mission. Learn more and join me in supporting them at techforce.org. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.